Um, dear brothers and sisters, if any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back um, onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptations yourself. Share each other's burdens and in the same way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, um, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Praise the Lord. Next. And I observe yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up um, so much pleasure now? Um, it is also meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can um, one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily moved. Thank you. Thank you, brother Tommy. And uh, let's have uh, our dear sister, Solia, uh, preach God's word uh, for him to us. Solia, please. Yeah. Thank you, Elder Jerry. Thank you, Tommy for reading uh, and Elder Jerry for leading our time. And thank you also to Rebecca for um, bringing us into the heart of worship, which is actually the uh, main uh, point that we'll drive towards in our time together today. Uh, Elder Jerry, if you want to share the screen with the slides, it's totally fine. We'll start right off the bat. Okay, great. Uh, I was once helping a high school student uh, with his essay, and it was the end of the, of the day. He had been in school all day, so it was kind of a tutoring session. It was probably after 6 p.m. already. And as he was reading through his work, he looked up all of a sudden and asked me, Asolia, like, where do you find motivation to work? And I was confused by his question um, and didn't really know how to answer at the moment. And instead of, ask, uh, instead of answering the question, I asked him why he asked me the question. He responded that he was just curious. But that question sort of stuck with me for a little bit longer, especially now when I consider the fact that our work is no longer measured by the success of comparing ourselves to another person. This morning, we are going to, well, probably closer to the afternoon, we're going to uh, participate in the Holy Communion. And I want us to consider what our Christian intrinsic motivation and how it can be tied to our expression of worshiping God. Through our worship of God, how can we together participate in adoration of God through the process of edifying each other? We depend on one another for support through the establishment of trust. And it is only when we trust each other 
that we can begin to build bridges within our community. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I'm sure you've heard that before. Every week, if you remember before the pandemic and every week now during the pandemic and every week after you know all of us are vaccinated, we will come in or we have come in and out of each other's lives during the week uh, when we join together for worship on Sunday morning or we meet um, for various Bible studies or prayer groups, uh, when we do outreach initiatives like we did yesterday, we come in and out of each other's lives. And that's great. But the question comes down to this. In the midst of everything we do together, do we really know each other? Have we cultivated relationships built on trust? Do our hearts break when we see that someone is no longer participating in our communal worship services? Because for some reason, they have experienced deep sorrow and pain as a result of what we, the church, have induced. Uh, throughout my life, uh, because my parents are missionaries and church planters, that's kind of their thing, I've participated in various um, church uh, activities, as I'm sure most of you have as well. And as a teenager and as a college student, I saw many young people leave the church hurt because they were either ostracized, isolated, or abused by words of those who claimed to have the love of Jesus in them. How do we respond to this great catastrophe? How do we respond to the fact that many young people rarely return to the church after their high school graduation? Because granted, in high school, your parents force you to log in to Zoom or to wake up in the morning, get dressed and go to church. What about college? What about after college? How do we respond to this um, issue? Well, we respond right now. We can't, you know, just be living in this problem and not resolve it. I once uh, heard one of my professors tell me that when a newcomer comes into a church, they usually decide within the first seven seconds, first seven seconds, if they will be coming back. That's crazy. It's not about the sermon or the worship service. It's the first seven seconds of entering into a church. While it might not seem like a lot, those seven seconds are actually the span of time in which one of us could approach a newcomer and welcome them. And those first words of welcome might play a key decision role. I'm not trying to say that, okay, we're on Zoom right now and we have to become a mega church. We have to expand, grow, invite people. No, but I want us to think of our community right now as we are. Are we together? Do we support one another? Can we depend on those who are here, the 19 of us that are gathered? Ultimately, do we love one another to the point of never attempting to do anything or say anything that could hurt our brother or sister? And so I ask all of these questions and hopefully we can answer them uh, as we go into this time. 
But before we do, please bow your heads uh, in prayer with me. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, acknowledging that we are relational beings. And as relational beings, we have the tendency to come close and we also have the tendency to separate from one another. We have the ability to love and to care, but we also are capable of hurting in some of the most uh, painful ways. We pray that in this time together, you might speak to each of us, show us places where we can love, where we can ask questions and we can care for one another. And show us also places where we are fallen and mistaken. Cleanse us of those places in our life where we think wrongly, where we speak uh, words that hurt instead of words that encourage. And help us come together as one church so that when we are together, we are stronger and are capable of going out and doing um, service and outreach. We pray for this time and be with us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, so Elder Jerry, we can go to the next slide now. Okay. Thank you. In Galatians 6, Paul begins the closing statements of his letter as Tommy read to the Galatians thus. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Paul is very direct in the statement to the recipients of his letter. The Galatians started to live by the law, and that was the problem. They started to obey Judaic law rather than live by the spirit. They became far more concerned with what they did and how they did it, rather than considering what they could do for one another. And they became a weak church. So what does that look like in the contemporary church setting? In our community, if someone has done something, anything, is it immediately whispered through the various channels and halls of our church or our Zoom meetings? These invisible whispers destroy. They destroy the church from within and they hurt all of us, whether we are the person involved or we are those people who are listening or the ones that are spreading the rumors. This hurts the church and we all, regardless of our age, are prone to such terrible actions. And now a question for you, and this doesn't have to even be within the church, but do you think that if someone tells you something, it's your responsibility to go and pass it on to the next person? Doesn't that, consider this for a moment, doesn't that take away their agency to speak up for themselves? If a person was capable of telling you something personal, something that they are struggling with, 
That simply means they are just as capable of telling another person the same exact thing. The fact that they opened up to you about something means that they trust you. And in this time and in all of time, trust among humans or between two humans is one of the most fundamental things we share. We can all agree that when someone trusts us, we sense some good pride, right? It, it feels good to know that you are capable of helping someone and that they trust you to help them. Now, it will be foolish to break that trust by foolishly gossiping about that person. In conversations, when you feel like you've run out of something to say, ask questions, engage the other person rather than try to bring in conversations about other people in your life. Uh, we can go to the next slide now. So there's a call for our community to begin to trust one another. And as we establish a transparent culture, we welcome the practice of worship. And worship transforms every moment of our existence. What does that mean? Well, it means that in those moments when we are together, we worship. Whether it's Sunday night or Saturday night or Thursday night or every morning for prayer meetings. The cool thing about worship is that although it's something that we carry out of this place and practice of, by ourselves, it's those moments when we're not in each other's presence that we can continue being unified through this practice. A professor of biblical studies at my college in my undergraduate years always began the semester with a single lecture. As a teacher of the Old Testament and a scholar of Jewish culture, he spent much of his life understanding the biblical practice of worship. Worship is an act of reverence in which through actions and words, we offer our adoration to God. In the process of worship, we understand that we are limited in our expression. There aren't enough words or actions in which we can express what God has done for us and how much we admire him. But nevertheless, in those moments of worship, our intention, I believe, is transformed to honor God. And in our church, worship is uh, fundamentally expressed through singing and Rebecca leads us beautifully. But what does worship look like throughout the week? If we spend the majority of the time, especially now at our desks, looking into a screen, how can we worship God? Well, going back to what that professor of biblical studies encouraged us students was to consider our study, our work, and our communication with others as worship. At this time, our worship is in isolation, even right now. But in its own way, it's an opportunity for us to offer genuine worship. Offering what we can 
understanding our limitations and sensing some motivation, believing that our work is transformed through the intention of our heart to offer adoration to God who sees us and cares for us. We can now go to the next slide. I don't want to push Christianity to the borders of exclusivity as it has often occurred throughout history of the church. And I think that that is one of the primary reasons why we have so many young people who tell us that they will not come back to church because they have been hurt. They have been hurt to such an extent that the, the image of a church, the word church, creates some um, hostility in them. And I don't want us to be that kind of church. Instead, I want all of us who are here, all 19 of us, or maybe more by now. Yes, still 19. Um, I want all of us here to cherish what we have so that through the unity that we create, that we have in this community, through the unity of trust and through the practice of worship, we can go out and speak a different image of the church in this area. I think at this point, it's safe to say that we have accepted or have been forced to accept our circumstances. And as people, we find ways to cope. And as Christians, we find motivation in believing that what we do is transformed to bring honor to God. And that is what motivates and drives us to do anything. Whether we're making sandwiches on a very hot day or running around under bridges or visiting our grandparents or going for hikes or finishing up our homework or staying home to ensure the safety of our loved ones. In all of these things, we have found ways to do it together. And I think this is an evidence of our faith. It is a faith that sustains us to perform actions with awareness of the other. And I think this is truly, truly beautiful. Because more than anything, in our isolation, we have become aware of one another. <laughs> aware of the social distancing we need to keep, but also aware of the needs Understanding that, yes, you live with your grandparents, so I will respect that. Or understanding that, yes, perhaps right now it's especially difficult to wake up every morning, turn on Zoom, and do more homework. We have become aware of these things in each other's lives. And this is where trust among us is being cultivated. And I think this year is one of blessing because we have begun to care for one another differently. And be, perhaps through that, we have begun to see how God cares for us always. Going back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher writes, two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? 
A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And all of us gathered here, when we talk to people who do not want to come back to the church, it is because they were alone. They came in alone or they came in with a community, but they left alone. Where is the church? Where are individual members coming to help? It's a question for us to consider. We can go to the next slide. Clearly, the teacher emphasizes the need for two people to succeed at a given task. Obviously, this doesn't mean that we need to go and hang out right now uh, and just really be there for each other. There are other forces at play. However, we have seen how we are adaptable as people and as uh, believers, uh, part of this church, and that we can do so much even right now. And one of these things is learning how to communicate with one another, is learning that we can not only physically care for one another, but we can also depend on one another and edify one another. Edification is that expression of the mind of Christ in which, e in which each person looks not to his or her own interest, but to the interest of others. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking about in Galatians. And this is exactly what the author of the teacher of Ecclesiastes is teaching his student about, is that we must edify one another. We must encourage one another. We must instruct one another. We must depend on one another. We can go to the next slide. Dependability after trust is completely tied to it. As a community, are we built on trust or do we judge those who come to us and disclose the hardships they face? Are we a community that edifies a person or one that makes them feel even worse than before they came to talk to us? And finally, are we a community that prays, that seeks God's guidance, believing that we are transformed by it? I'm sorry, I need to turn off my notifications. We are called to love God and to love people. And this is true both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What God spoke to Moses in the form of the Ten Commandments, God simplified through Jesus' words. But in all honesty, if we worship and honor God, if we take time to rest according to the fourth commandment, so that we can love our neighbor by not performing acts of evil and hatred towards them, but rather loving them as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loves them. Amen. Have we, in the contemporary church, overcomplicated things? Or have we lost our ability to communicate compassion and love to those who have left or have never even entered. In this coming month, as you look into February, I encourage you to find ways 
to do good work and to come along one another to openly share about the hardships of the current time, or perhaps rejoice with one another for the many opportunities you have found to flourish and thrive. When our community becomes transparent or remains transparent perhaps and supportive, edifying, we will be unstoppable. We will be stronger together and we will naturally be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and become a place of comfort and solace for others. The church, our church can really transform this community. And it's time that we did something here. We build these bonds together before we continue to do something out there. When everything ends, what will we remember? I think for some time we will reflect as we are even now on the hardships, but we will forever remember those moments and people who took us out of the dark places, of the places of hurt. We will remember those who came alongside us and listened. So what do we do as a community? What can we, agree, what can we all agree on as we move into this month? Let's be slow to judge and quick to listen. Let's not go tell other people about something you've heard about another person. If we're wanting to establish mutual trust, we need to also establish a mutual agreement that there will be no judgment. Nothing will tear us apart more than gossip. And lastly, let's edify one another. Let's teach each other and encourage each other. Let us be attentive to listen to the spirit of goodness rather than the spirit of evil. Because when we focus on the good in one another, we can heal together. And we can heal those who have been hurt. So as we prepare to take communion together, we are together worshiping, remembering the words of Jesus. And what's interesting is that communion is the fundamental act of a community, of a Christian community. So dear ones, let us see the inauguration of this sacrament, this month of February as a stepping stone for our community to become trustworthy, transparent, and filled with faith and love. May we be motivated to do our work our homework, our housework, knowing that just a few miles down the road, our neighbors who are gathered here are likewise putting in every effort to be excellent in their worship of God. Together, through all we do, we worship God and we edify one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every single young and older person gathered here. Amen. You are great, abundant and steadfast love, caring for us, caring for our loved ones. 
We pray for all those who have been hurt, all those that we have ignored or been arrogant of. We ask for forgiveness at this time. Sanctify our community. Allow us to welcome the stranger. And in welcoming, fill us with the spirit of love. Guide our lips and our ears away from the tendency to judge, to hold prejudice, to allow hatred to penetrate our relationships, but rather allow us to see your face and your creation in your sanctified creation of the human person. And as we see the spirit in others, may we encourage it, may we instruct it, may we listen to it. Guide us into our uh, worship now through uh, Rebecca's voice and prepare our hearts for the communion as we remember what your son did for us on the cross, allowing us to see the deep pain and suffering and to believe in the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for teaching us through your spirit, for showing us through your creation and for loving us as we are. Fill us with that love that we may come together and support each other in your powerful, awesome, omnipotent name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, dear sister Asodia. Share God's vision, God's command, God's word to us.